Good morning. Uh, good to see you all, and I feel like much like being at home because I've seen you all the whole whole past month, <laughs> and also, uh, you know, I was so well greeted by all of you uh, as I walked in here, and it's, it feels like home. So I'm very glad and thankful that I am here, and let me speak a little softer so it doesn't ring. <laughs> uh, but let's first turn to our scripture reading, 1 Samuel chapter 18, uh, verse 1 through 9. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1 through 9. And while we're looking, I just want to introduce myself. I am, at, as we have been introduced, I serve in our sister church, Maryland Christian Church, and I serve youth group and also children's, and it's such a delight and joy to be part of this church, and I am just, uh, I, I enjoy every moment uh, just being with these children, and, and also growing and learning together. I, there are a lot of things I actually do learn from these children. Uh, I don't know if you have experienced that, but uh, it's just a wonderful church to be involved in and to be serving with, and I am just very privileged to be here this morning. Um, so if you have turned your Bibles to First Samuel chapter 18, verse 1 through 9, uh, I will read for us, and you may follow. And I just want to let you know that I'll be reading from ESV version, English Standard Version. So if it's a little different, um, just hope that um, you you could kind of figure out what it means. Uh, So I do apologize for that. This is the reading of God's Word. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, Saul of Jonathan was uh, knit to the soul of David. Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that he was on and gave it to David and the armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So that Saul set him over the man of war. And this was good in the sight of all people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming from coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistines, a woman came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the woman sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands, and what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we need your help as we have sang you are our Ebenezer. You, we need your help. Without you, we are not able to understand. And we are not able to change ourselves. But it is you who bring changes into our hearts and our, into our lives. So we look to you. Uh, we seek you. That you will be uh, with us. Um, and you would continue to speak through us. Uh, speak to us through your word. So we uh, depend on you this time. So teach us what we do not know, 
and make us what we are not. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um, I, got to, I told Pastor Chad that I would make fun of him, but this I wasn't going to, but then it just came and it occurred to me. Uh, well, I was, I was singing, and then I always made fun of Pastor Chad for drinking water in, during service <laughs> during, while he's speaking. But I realized <laughs> that sometimes you need it. <laughs> I, was, I was parched a little bit. I was like, oh, maybe I need some water. <laughs> so I had to go get it in the middle of like, a, um, like right after the song. Um, and uh, in that sense, kudos, it's jokes on me <laughs> now. <laughs> But I realized that there is water here as well, so I was very thankful to see that, uh, that you have provided water for me. Um, so, have you ever um, have experienced a time when someone younger or, or someone who is smaller, weaker, poorer, lesser, had somehow supplanted you, have gotten better than you? Um, and someone who was below you have now you know, beaten you by some, whatever... Um, category it may be. Well, I know that for sure. Uh, as I experience that all the time as the little children grow and beat me to my height <laughs> and start looking down on me. So and it doesn't feel necessarily that good. <laughs> but I already I have accepted it. The Lord has made me who I am, where and and I I am okay with that. <laughs> but uh, when someone close to you uh, in your skill level has somehow uh, gotten better than you, or even someone who had had gone into the same entry, had gone with you in the same same entry level, and has now become your superior, um, and become superior over you. Um, it's it's how do you respond to that? How do you react to that? We have enough social intelligence to not speak out loud about those things and to tell other people uh, how you're frustrated. But at home, maybe you, as you're thinking, it's like, hmm, yeah, it stings a little bit. It's, it's, it's a little bit, but all of a sudden, your mind is consumed with these thoughts, and it just entirely takes over you, and it almost feels like a little you know, shooting pain from your toe to brain, and then it's, it, you're frustrated, um, and you are it's just exploded with frustration and bitterness. How would you handle that kind of moment? Um, I don't always handle it well. <laughs> so I pray to God for help. God, help me. I'm a sinner. <laughs> Why do I feel this way? Um, life, living as Christian, is radical. It's a radical thing. I'm not saying Christians ought to live an extreme lifestyle, but, uh, and then that doesn't really prove that you're living for Christ, but it is radical that it changed the heart of every believer. So, Christianity has something radical within in, 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 its, in, in its religion and in its heart. So today, we're going to look at David, um, Jonathan, and Saul. And we want to consider three things. What hardship reveals, and what is friendship, and how lordship changes his heart. What hardship reveals, what is friendship, and how lordship changes our heart. Now, I just want to let you know that I know Chad is he's a good speaker. So he just he doesn't need to look at the notes. But I do. <laughs> I'm not as gifted as he is. So if you see me keep on looking down, up and up and down, um, hopefully hopefully you're not bothered by it. But I have my notes here. Um, 
it's not too small font, okay? So I just want to let you know that <laughs> it's not going to be so long, but I'm going to try to keep it uh, as short as possible. However, um, uh, you will see me keep on every now and then looking down and looking, reading some notes, okay? So, hardship. Uh, what does hardship uh, do? Uh, what does hardship reveal? It reveals your heart. Uh, let let me bring the context of the story a little bit from chapter 17. Uh, when Israel was attacked by Philistines, and the nature, the true nature of Israel was revealed, has been exposed. Soldiers were afraid of Philistines, and they did not trust God. So, uh, no one would go out and fight Philistines. Um, and because there's a Goliath, the champion of Philistines, they were, they were defying God, but everyone was listening unto all these taunts that he was saying, yet they couldn't go and, and fight him. The generals did not go to fight him, nor the king, their own king, would not go fight them um, because, of, they were, because they were scared of Goliath. And David, who, was, who just came to the camp uh, to give meal to his brothers, have heard it, and he said, who is this guy that he would actually, you know, defy God, who would make, you know, who would taunt God in the way that he, does, that he does, and he would boldly speak about it, and every word of it, he meant it, and then later on, this, this ruddy, youthful child goes, and in front of Goliath, he will speak uh, God's, you know, truthfully, that you come with sword and the spear, spear, javelin, and I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the army of Israel, whom you have defied. And he speaks against him, and he wasn't only speaking from the, in the inside the camp, but also in front of his own enemy, when Goliath is towering over him. Well, people say the trying time is opportune time for success. Um, although, you have, you're in trouble, if you deal with your situation well, then it may serve you well in advancing further than your competitors. And at the moment of danger, uh, it, it reveals David's trust and faith in the Lord. And that was displayed not only at that time in front of all the, the, the uh, armies and, and the whole Israel, but also now thousands of years later that we hear this. That his heart, his desire, his love and faith, trust in the Lord was genuine. In the moment of hardship, suffering is, you know, is a trying time when we can know our true motive of a heart. It, can, um, it is a time when you can strengthen faith or prove your faith to be genuine. So when you, when you experience any kind of tri- troubles or trying time, that is an opportunity, rather than something to avoid, but rather it might be an opportune time for you to be genuine and true to your heart and to, to your heart of your, unto your faith unto God. So David had his moment of displaying his faith in the battle. But now, Jonathan, on the other hand, after the battle, Jonathan was in danger. He was in danger of losing his, his, his popularity, his support from all the other um, people. Because now, King David, David has become so popular, so great. Now, he may lose his position. People want him. They want him as a king. 
David has defeated the Philistine, and he's gaining popularity. Everyone's following him. Now, Saul is already a king. So Saul, who's Jonathan's father, uh, Saul is already a king. So he does not want his throne to be passed down to someone else, uh, because usually the trend is, at that time, um, as Israel wanted uh, to be like any other nations around them, they wanted a king, and then they installed a king, King Saul. And all the other nations, what they did was king has been, heredit, uh, has been passed down to their own children. Now, obviously, Saul did not want that. So he wanted Jonathan to be the next king. And Jonathan, he was waiting all his life to be the next king. He's been trained. He's been, uh, he's been working toward it. He's been you know, learning much how to, how to reign and so forth. So, if you, you know, today, if you're your dad, or if your father is a, let's say, owner and CEO of an Apple company, or even Amazon, and, you know, you've been trained by your father, and you've been trained by all these, you've been studying, you know, you're going to good college, good grad school, and you want to be into that, going, going into the role of that CEO, or even the ownership, and you found out that you're not going to be the next CEO. Or next owner of that huge company that, that your dad has established. How would you feel? Jonathan, however, was okay with it. He, was, he, wasn't, he wasn't upset um, to become the next king. He knew that God has chosen David to be the next king. And that he has been anointed as the king. But if Jonathan... Uh, doesn't become the king, what happens to him? Usually, when on the other nations, what they do is they kill all the royal families. When you can conquer over this land, then you will kill all the royal families so they will not come rise back up and to take over, uh, or fight, fight back uh, the new king that has been installed. So it was a dangerous thing for him to just allow someone else to become king because not only is, it, is he losing the success uh, or the or the land or the the possessions and and everything else, but also his life is at risk. If Jonathan does not succeed as a king after the father, it is humiliating and pride breaking event. I remember when I was a teenager, um, I, we my parents would drive and I'm in the back and one time. Um, my dad passed the red light, and I saw that. And then, and right as soon as I saw, <clears throat> I saw my dad pass, I I cringed and was like, oh no. And then, and <clears throat> because we were going, and all the cars were looked watching us, I would duck underneath, <laughs> so so people would not see me because I cared about me and I didn't want people to recognize me later or in some way I, in, in my own in my wild imagination they would recognize me later on for some reason and I would duck because I was, I was too prideful and also that I didn't want to be humiliated um, and I had too much pride um, so I didn't so that, so that I wouldn't feel embarrassed Jonathan if he failed to succeed as a king, it's an embarrassing thing that the king's son cannot succeed his own father. However, Jonathan, he didn't take it that way. He was delighted 
to uh, have David to be um, to be their their king, and also he loved David as he loved his own soul. As I said before, in First Samuel chapter twenty-three, seventeen, he he knows that David is going to be the next king, and he was not angry at David. For Jonathan, this hardship of of life proved his faith unto God to be true and genuine rather than being envious and bitter. He trusts the Lord because God has chosen David to be the next king. How do you know that? Well, Jonathan loved David because David loved the Lord and he was after God's own heart. He saw him fight these Philistines and he, when those who are defying God, he would stand before them and he would speak and fight for the, the glory of God. And David, I mean Jonathan, he was very impressed and he, he enjoyed it thoroughly. However, Saul sought after his own reputation and his legacy, not of God's legacy or what God's call is. He wanted to get rid of David as he eyed on him from then on. This is the first point. Hardship reveals our hearts. And depending on your allegiance, what, where you have placed your allegiance, your response differ. And it may be bitter and jealous, jealousy, or delight or, and gladness. Either way, your response will come and it will reveal your heart. Now, what is friendship? To the next point. Old Testament talks about David and Jonathan's friendship in the forefront to show us that our friendship, how, what our friendship should look like. There is a great friendship between David and Jonathan. First, Jonathan saw David's, like I said, character of, uh, in the midst of this threatening uh, life, uh, threatening battle as David declared the honor of God's name. Um, Jonathan knew that David loved God. And he would even give he would even even give his life for God. And he loved that about David. He keep because he feared he was God fearing man. Therefore he makes a covenant with God and David in friendship. So whenever there is any kind of covenant, you have to know that covenant involves God. It's so you know it's not just between David and Jonathan, but God is in the picture. You have to see that. And God, in God, they, they loved as brothers in Christ, in, 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 as brothers in the Lord. Now, have you ever had, um, have you ever had faith crush? I think I made that up, the word, faith crush. But, but, uh, so it's not, you know, it's, it's basically because you've seen someone that you're so impressed by that person's faithfulness into the Lord, unto the Lord, that you are just, just you love that person. Have you, have you, have experienced that kind of crush, the faith crush? I had one uh, when I was in, uh, when I was in seminary. Uh, this guy named uh, Bill and Ina, and, and Ina was Puerto Rican, and also Bill, Bill was a doctor, and they have invited me over to his place and uh, or their place, and we had meals, and um, and he mentioned like. All these things that I have, these are not mine. And God has given it to me, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use it properly according to what he has called me to do. And he said, you know, if you need help, you know, with your tuition, let me know. 
And I was blown away. And I was like, but you, you need help. Like you, need, you still need money because you know, you're, now you're retired and you still need money to you know, keep, make a living. He's like, no, but the Lord has given me enough. And I was, I, I was just not only touched, but man, I had crushed on this couple who are so eager to serve the Lord. Um, and in that, I could see Jonathan loving David. Seeing how faithful he is unto God, say, man, this man I want to be in relationship with all the days of my life so that I may continue to love the Lord. Now, I don't want to focus too much on the relationship between David and Jonathan because uh, this friendship is actually about God. Uh, I want to focus a little more on, on, on Jesus because this is how God, Jesus, you how uh, he, he, he is united to us. All the scriptures in the Old Testament and the New Testament, they're, they're both talking about Christ. It speaks about Christ. And this friendship of Jonathan and David is ultimately pointing to how Christ is united to us and how we are united to him in the covenant of God that God has made with God, uh, with Jesus, and unto us. So Jesus loved us as his own soul. Now, if you, uh, I think we have it on the screen, hopefully. If not, John chapter 17, verse 24. Uh, and I, once again, I have ESV, so if you see on NIV different, then uh, please understand. You could just follow along on NIV. Um, John 17, 24 says, Father, I desire that they also... Oh, I'll just read that from here. Okay. <laughs> so, Father, I want those you have given me to, the, to, to be with me uh, where I am, and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Here, Jesus is praying unto God and saying, God, you have given these people unto me before the creation of the world. And he's saying that there is an eternal covenant that was made between God and the Son. And Jesus is jealous of his people because they were supposed to be his belonging to his, but they have turned against him, but God has given them to him. So, in this relationship, Jesus is, is his, he has come to claim his own. To be in relationship with Jesus is to be united to him, and as, as Jesus loves us, and he, he, he loves us as he loves his own soul. And first Samuel, first Samuel chapter eighteen verse three, we have read it already. He actually says, Jonathan says, oh, it doesn't say Jonathan. The the narr- narr- uh, narrator says, or narrative says, he loved him as his own soul. And I love this aspect of this liter- of the ambiguity of this literature nuance because it doesn't say Jonathan loved David as he loved his own soul. But nor does it say David loved Jonathan as he loved his own soul. But it says he loved him as he loved his own soul. It wasn't that one loved more or less, but rather, it's, it's how, that's how Christ loves us. We love Christ and we love Christ back. Or we love Christ. Christ loves us also. Jesus' friendship is greater than the friendship between the David and Jonathan. 
Once again, John chapter 15, verse 13 on the screen says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. When what Christ shows in this love, in his love for us, is not merely physical, but both physical and spiritual that leads us to eternity. He died on the cross for his friends. His great love so that, uh, and in his great love so that we may be raised back into life, bodily, like him. And that is our hope, that we will one day rise back again as Christ has risen from the grave, from the dead. Jesus calls us friends, brothers and sisters, and he died for us. John chapter 15 verse 15 says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. He has called us, not as a servant, to serve him. But he has, though we are servants, he has made us his friends. Jesus died for us because he had made a vow to love us, to glorify God and honor the Father. David and Jonathan made a vow to each other in God's love. And, and they love each other in honoring God-honoring way without deceit nor sin as brothers in the Lord. That is why, in one, if you think about it, the, ten, the commandment that God has given us to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you will se- as you will love yourself, you will see that you will love the Lord first, and when you are in love with Him, then after you you can't help but to love your brothers and sisters as you will love yourself, just as David loved his Jonathan, or Jonathan loved David, as he as they love each other as they have they love their own soul when you love the lord your soul is compelled to love those who are around you now lord jesus christ loves you brothers and sisters do you believe that and he loves his own soul and and you are connected to him so when he so you uh, you, loving others goes without saying. The one who loves you and whom you love, now you see, they, they, he loves you. So what that means is because you love him, that you love others. Friendship is not just an acquaintance and familiarity, but simple, deeply committed relationship with intention. Uh, to even allowing others to advance before you. Our definition of friendship is nothing compared to what Jesus' definition of friendship is. He upped the ante, so to speak, and from the superficial level to heart level. He redefined the definition of friendship. And what is it? It involves you dying to yourself in advancement of others. By the way, these others are not some, someone else. These are, these are first brothers and sisters sitting next to you who are in this room. 
and then in concentric circle and it goes out to your neighbors. It's a radical death to yourself and start loving Jesus Christ more than you love your money, success, fame, wealth, or influence. It's a, it's a radical death because it doesn't make sense. Why would you die to yourself? Friendship that is built on something that is other than Jesus Christ is not, it's not lasting because what happens when you have a friendship who is for the benefit of your own? Later on, uh, I guess commonly people call it networking nowadays. You network with people so that you can get what you need, and then that once you get it, it's you know you don't really you know hang out with that person as much. Um, it's it's not deeply embedded. It's not deeply committed relationship. But I, what I could get from you, I'll get, and then I'll take it with with it and I'll take it with me, and then continue on. And you do the same. So it's not what the friendship that. Christ shows, describes, is not our conventional friendship that we, the world talks about. But it is, it is about self-mortification. It costs something in your life. It's self-death. At the expense of your death, that you will save others. It's an evangelistic thing. That you would give yourself, your time, your tangible, intangible resources to go and use them while you can still use for yourself, yet you use that for others and that they may come to know the Lord and they will, they will be saved. Friendship that Jesus shows is the one, one that leads to death to self. And He has done so. Do you have such high view of friendship? Jesus does. Now, the lastly, lordship. Oh, I don't have too much time. So, lordship, it change, changes our heart. What is astonishing is that uh, how love is displayed on Jonathan, and um, when, when Jonathan had met the circumstance that, that was threatening his success, Jonathan knew that David is going to take his place. He's going to be the next king. And it was... But it was shocking that Jonathan gave David his royal robe, armor, sword, bows, and belt. There's no trace of jealousy, envy, malice toward David. Jonathan put his garment on David, almost as if it's an immunity, saying, no one's going to touch you. You are the prince, I have the favor of the prince of this kingdom. If you turn to Isaiah chapter 60, verse 10, and the screen, uh, it says, I delight greatly in the Lord my soul. Rejoice in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorn his head like a priest and as a bride adorn herself with her jewels. In the years of God's favor, this is the prophecy that he will, wrap, he will wrap his people with the robes of righteousness like a bridegroom of, you know, as, as a priest will put a, put a robe over him. And also, so as a church will, will wear this 
this priestly robe of righteousness. And also, as a bride would put a robe on for the, as they're waiting for the, the coming husband. And the church, as a bride of Christ, is wearing this, the robe of righteousness. And as God sees him, he is worthy, perfect immunity from the death in any kind of danger. The church adorns, is adorned as it's put on the holiness and purity. And also, as a church, like a priest, prays and serves and honors God in all its activity and its work. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 through 29 says, Oh, I only put 26 there. But you are the sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And as I, if I read a little further, if you listen, for as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is no, neither slave nor free. There is no male or fe- and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Ab- Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. God calls you and me to be his son. His children. If you're baptized in, into Christ, you put on Christ. It's not something that special rope that you put on, but you put on Christ. His righteousness is yours, and it, when God sees us, you are perfectly immune. And that is a promise, that God's promise, he says in the scripture. In Galatians, Paul tells us, you're offspring of Abraham, the heir according to promise. And in that covenant, God makes your you're not now only a, only a servant, but your friend, and he ups it and make you into sons and daughters of God. Paul says to put on Christ, who covers you with his righteousness. Second Corinthians chapter eight verse nine says, "For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that." You, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus Christ gave his rope of righteousness, covered our shame, though we do not deserve it. And he made us kings and queens of this world. And he gave all that he has in his kingdom so that you would have that. You would have ownership of all things. Now, it means he, he is yours but also you are His. So when you reign, when you're united with Christ, you reign with Him. When you see Him, you will reign with Him, but also He reigns through you. He reigns you as well. But you're glad that He reigns you because your heart is in love with Him. Your soul is in love with Him. What is mystery is that God, Christ calls us friends while we're still sinner and have turned against Him. This is why, and this, that's because God has covenant. He has made a covenant with us. Although God made covenant with us, it doesn't mean that 
it doesn't mean that we're in an equal. Like, you know, when you make a contract with someone, you shake their hands because we're in the same level. And then if you do this, I do this, and then we're good. But this was a different case. It was king versus the slave servant. And in that, what God has said is that if you do this, you will, you will, you will survive. You will live. First of all, it was an unfair deal because they're not in the equal stance. But God made a promise to himself, as you've heard, as you've read in the scripture. He made a promise, covenant to himself that he will keep this even though you do not. And we see that in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. So it is none of the our works that saves us, but it is indeed the works of Christ. He is our king. And yet he is our friend. Jesus rules us as we are united to him. And we, once again, rule through him. Where is your allegiance? Your allegiance, our our allegiance belongs to him because he loves his church as his own soul. He loves us as his own soul. John chapter 13 verse 1 says, Now, now before the feast, the Lord passed... The feast Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father, having loved his own who were in this world, in the world. He now showed them the full extent of his love. He loved them to the very end. Full extent of his love. Very to the very end. He loves his church. He loves his his love compels us to love and glorify God. And we reciprocate what, uh, what we have received through Jesus Christ. How does that work? Unto the Lord and to others. And those, those who are his beloved know that. And will follow that. However, we have the broken vows that, uh, that uh, we have vowed before God. And when we have sinned against him. We sin against him and we, we keep on breaking the vow that we have made. So what do you do? We renew our vows before him daily. It's not through your obedience that you are saved, but you would commit your, commit your allegiance to him daily. And he has given us freedom from guilt and shame in his atoning sacrifice. He is your champion. He saves you. Now, one thing, another thing that you, we can bank on is that God is his promise keeper. If we remained in him, we were not, uh, we, we cannot work, uh, we cannot work apart from God's covenant. We become forgetful, but because he keeps his promise, that we will still return to him. He will cause us to come, come back, compel our hearts to turn to him. So I exhort you to allow Christ to reign in you and reign with him in eternity, for eternity, to the end. And be faithful and obedient unto God. And let me end with this, this exhort, exhortation. May... This hardship 
friendship and lordship in Jesus Christ compel you to love warmly, care deeply, and die radically to yourself. That Christ may live in you and give you joy and give you delight, give, give you freedom until you see him face to face. And may you set your allegiance to Christ Jesus, looking forward to the kingdom of God that is the coming, that we may be with him who loves you and me and, and who loves who, whom we love as he loves us like he loves his own soul. So may that compel you to live another day as you go into the mission field, going out the door, you would live for him. Commit yourself, commit your allegiance to him daily that glory of God may be revealed in your life continually. Let's pray. And as we pray, could, could the priest can come and lead us into praise? After. Dear Lord, we are so humbled by your extravagant, um, radical love that we have never seen in this world. It is, it is something that is not of this world. It's alien thing that we have not encountered before. But it's, we know that this is from you, from God, because it is so, un, so different than what we would think of about friendship, the love, and, and how, you, how you move us, how you use us in, in giving all the glory unto you and that, that, you, that we would reign with you, that we would be with you for eternity. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would allow our hearts to be transformed this, this morning as your spirit continues to work and move us to look to you, gaze our sights on you. Lord, we want to be with you. We want to turn to you. Help us, O Lord. We are weak, but you are strong. And you are the king of this world. So, we rely on you. We depend on you. We depend on your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for putting your robe of righteousness unto us that we may live for you daily. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.